to everybody and their neighbor. I'm Jed Stone, and you are visiting with us at Gear and Gigs. So glad you could stop by. We've got an interesting conversation for you today. It's going to get deep. It's going to get hairy. It started with a Strymon Iridium pedal and went off into some of the most philosophical conversations I've had about music and the equipment uh, that we use to create it. Trey Hawkins, a great guy and recording artist, is here with me today. And let's just pick up where we left off. Okay, so let's take it a step further. So let's say that you and I, so in the sense of full disclosure, Trey and I both play in a band called Tone Castle. And uh, we're actually both developing live rigs right now, trying to figure out how we're going to handle our live rig for that particular situation. Um, he's doing rhythm, I'm doing leads, and we've got very different jobs. And so one of the reasons I wanted to do this particular podcast is to kind of work out in the public forum what I'm going to do. Because as I said before, I've got the XFX, I've got the Kempers, but I've also got, you know, a, a zillion real amps. And the question becomes, what do I do? The, the, the things that enter my mind as questions are things like reliability, right? Um, portability, stereo or not stereo, which is a factor. But in the, in the individuality factor, let's say we take it a, a step further and we say, okay, you and I both go out with an Iridium. Mm. And we both go out with a Big Sky. And we both go out with a uh, Timeline. Lovely looking board, by the way. Yeah. And we also both go out with Aristides guitars, for instance, which right. are made from a mold. And if we f outfitted them with the same pickups, right. would literally be the same sound. Right. Assuming we, once again, same strings, same everything. Sure. Would that make you <laughs> the incontent? <laughs> That's a good T-shirt. I should have that made. Incontent. That would be great. And the people think I'm saying incontinent. <laughs> Sorry. Trying to make everybody like you more, and they just think you're stupid. <laughs> or, or just maybe I had an issue and might have to leave quickly. Right. Incontinent. What's he like from an island? Well, I was just in country. I was just in continent. Is that what Australians say? That's what they Since say, it's the mate. same thing? That's what they say. They're incontinent. That's, that's British. That's not good. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so to your point, uh, I think I know where you're going. I, I think that there would still be a at least a subtle difference that you and I could tell between our playing. Like if we were listening back to something. Oh, well, shit, yeah. Um, but, you know, would the crowd, one, would the crowd notice I don't think that they would necessarily even think to consider that we would be using the exact same setup. And because they're not expecting it, they wouldn't notice. Yeah. And, you know, if you went and saw, um, I'm trying to think of an example, Boston. Yeah. What a weird example to choose. But you kind of think they, those guys must have had the same guitar system. Yeah. Why, why do you think they... Why, why did I know that you would think that? But it just, we all feel... Because it's consistent. We must feel like all the guys in Boston and, had the same guitar system. And, well, and the guys in Boston clearly thought about the way their guitar sounds played with each other. And that's important. You really very probably, important. You probably wouldn't want two guys with the same system. Right. Unless you clearly divided up your 
Well, if you had Stratton and Les Paul, it'd be okay. Like, let's get hurt, right? Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there there are other ways to get You're your right. individuality. You're right. You're, the individuality does not have to come from an amplifier, in which case, once again, if we had the same Aristides, would that matter? Not a ton. Okay. Maybe a little bit. Okay. But, but like, so take... So your example, contention is that individuality has nothing to do with the tools whatsoever? I think it's how the tools all fit together. <laughs> that's what she said. Well, you know... So sorry, it was right there. Yeah, but but I mean, really think about it. Like, if you even if you have all the same things, you know, the 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 opposite uh, issue is let's take a bunch of you know I've, I've spent a decent amount of time in the worship crowd and and um, I think the word of the day is worship. Worship, worship. The concept that all worship guitar players kind of sound the same because they're all going for the the hill song passion worship thing. Wow, now there's a whole separate. Thing. Yeah, we can talk about that later. Let me get to the I'm point. I'm sorry. Wow. So everybody wants this. The opinion is expressed by the individual players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. From my experience, as being one myself, the goals for tone for worship tend to want to be the same end result regardless of a lot of the choices that you make in gear. So, it so can everybody's be, going for the same thing but going at it a different way. Correct. Interesting. So, and nobody seems to mind. The congregation's certainly not talking about it. Well, it's always been my contention that the individual listener, if they're not a musician, categorizes instantly the sound that they hear based on the instrument category it goes in, and that's the the furthest analysis that they do. And that can be illustrated to guitar players or bass players or drummers or, or keyboardists by saying... When a saxophone player starts to play, do you think about what brand saxophone it is? Do you think about what type of saxophone? Do you think about, oh, that's a tenor. Oh, that's an alto. Do you think about that at all? I mean, yes, but I also went to school for music. Well, okay. And, but, I, and I was around it way too Once again, much. a non... Okay, so, Which, so when probably, a violin... Probably not. So if a violin or a cello starts to play, do you think... Oh, I wonder what scale that cello is. I wonder what the fingerboard material of that cello is. I wonder if he's, you know bought the Indonesian version of that cello or if it's the Korean version or is that the the full fat Viennese I don't know what the word cello I, I'm be, the right? wrong person yeah. to, German to ask cello. for this line of question but, but you understand what but I'm no, saying no, I know you what don't you think mean. about it you categorize it when you hear somebody playing piano you don't think wow is that a 96 key Bosendorfer or do you think is that a stand up piano unless you're a piano player you're right. not thinking about that and I play piano I'm a piano player I guess but I don't care right. and by the same token if a song is good i don't care if it's a, a banjo or a dulcimer or a, a guitar it doesn't matter to me because the song is good and i'm enjoying it from that standpoint but we need to acknowledge that because as gear snobs as we all are we have a certain purist ethos that we we follow as almost like a doctrine that we must follow and yet we must realize that our eventual audience has a much different set of priorities right well i mean and there's the there's the science behind sound that's irrefutable and then there's the uh, the personal preference in it and what you define as good or bad is completely subjective uh, outside of those constraints of what the ear actually likes to hear and what will translate well uh, but that's that's for another discussion well, and, and, and music time, is playing playing the odds because no matter what you play, somebody in the world will like it, even if it's the most sour, nasty, horrible thing in the world. Right. 
somebody will go, that's not the most sorrow, nasty, horrible thing in the world. It's great. I love that. That's perfectly beautiful. So there's always an audience for whatever you do. You have to decide how big an audience you want to go for. And if your audience is not something you care about because you want to please yourself, that's valid too. Which, and I think that that really is kind of the answer to the question that we initially proposed of, you know, which is better, what are the merits, what are the, the pros, what are the cons of doing a, a tube amp versus a, uh, a non-traditional amplifier of some kind. It really just depends on your needs and what, inspires what, your, you? what your priorities are. What inspires you? Because if you're, okay, for instance, for instance, and this is perfect, B.B. Um, King. A lot of people love B.B. King. A lot of people find him incredibly inspiring. A lot of people find him seminal, right? I mean, he was the launching point for a lot of folks, and almost everybody, I think, would agree that he's authentic. And, sure. You know, okay. The guy played with a Gibson Lab Series amplifier. It is a solid-state amplifier. It's not tube. It's, well, it's got its own sound. Right. One of the most unique things about that particular amplifier is it has a built-in compressor. One of the first, well, the only amplifier I can think of that's got a built-in compressor, mm -hmm. and at least not a bass amp, you know. Right. And certainly one of the first amps to ever consider doing something like that, was, which in the long run, if you look at recording or live performance from a, from a truly professional standpoint, compression is critical. You really do need compression at some point. Typically, it's relied on further down the signal chain, but fascinating right. to have it built into the amplifier but my point is here he is with a non-purist i mean first of all it's a gibson amp which is not considered to be a mainstay if you right. will of amplifiers of lore and it's a solid state gibson so that's two strikes you know and it's a lab series okay i mean you know it's named lab series <laughs> you know the the weirdness is baked right in and here's bb king playing a lab series and he gets that bb king tone Right. You know, he gets that thing. He's able to make that work for him. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it becomes above reproach because it's become art. Right. It's just like painting a Campbell's soup can, you know, even though that's mundane and just every day, once you've assigned it art status by mm -hmm. saying, that's my art, that's my statement, then we have to kind of accept it at that level. And we're getting to the point in technology and the world where anything is accepted and it doesn't matter whether it sounds lo-fi, hi-fi, right. um, old, good, new, bad, what doesn't matter because it's all valid and, and it's an experience. You know, I, I, I recently was watching some discussion about um, some... Um, some rap artists doing um, stretching of beats, getting sure. in between a straight beat and a swung beat, mm -hmm. what they call a strung beat, <laughs> which is weird. And it's this floaty sensation where it's rushing and dragging at the same time. And at first blush, it li it sounds wrong. You, mm -hmm. As a drummer, you know, I'm a drummer, it sounds like, oh, that ain't, that's a bad drummer. That's, right. But then this was Questlove. Yeah. Drumming, so I'm like, okay, well, it's he he's knows, not a bad drummer. He's not a bad drummer, so let me listen to it with with that in mind. And now I'm listening to it, going, okay, he's intentionally doing this, and it's, I think it's that. I think it's the intentionalness and the confidence and the commitment to it that suddenly validates it and makes it acceptable. Right. So, I think we can stop as guitar players almost um, trying to decide whether something's valid, like the iridium. Is that a valid way to go out and perform? You know, is Muse 
the guy dropping a, a chaos pad in his guitar a valid way to perform. Well, yeah. it is if... If it works. If it makes money, if it pleases people, if he feels like it, pun intended, appeases his muse, right. then it is valid, right? Um, it's invalid if it's incompetent. It's invalid if it's unintentional and unwilled, right. you know? Happy accidents aside. Sure. But... You know, if if it's art, then it's valid, which means we can all decide on what's the what's the way to do it. And then, really, it comes down to with the iridium versus, for instance, the Kemper. You know, you look at a regular amp, and you, for instance, one of my favorite amps is the, is the Boogie uh, Fillmore. Great right. amp, a little combo. Love it. It's a small amp. You know, compared to a Marshall or something like that, a big you know stack or something, it's easy to carry around. But compared to that, my Kemper's tremendously <laughs> even right. easier. Well, compared to the Kemper, the iridium is easier. Well, how far do we need to go? And is that important? Is that portability a huge priority within our decision-making for a live rig as we decide what right. our live rig is going to be? For me, I, I mean, I think it is a big deal. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm done He's carrying. He's very weak. He's very small Yeah, and weak. very, you know, slight build. <laughs> uh, He's a lumberjack, by the way. Uh, but... I, you know, I am done carrying up 412s in road cases, up staircases in the snow. You know, I don't want to have to take a, an enormous vehicle and an enormous trailer with all the stuff and, and do all of this because for me, I want to enjoy the playing and enjoy the performance and not have to worry about all of the other as much. I get that. I um, get that totally. You know, because for me, that, you know, for, let's say 40 minutes of playing, 20, 20 to 40 minutes of playing where I'm jumping around and I'm having a good time and I'm enjoying the, the performance aspect of it, the more I have to think about my gear while I'm on stage, the less happy I typically am. I get that. I do get that. Yeah. Um, I think I've told you we had a band that uh, for years played with a, a huge JBL sound system. Sounded mm. great, you know. I mean, we had it was three way with subs and monitors and you know racks of amps and compressors and EQs, and it sounded great when it was set up and working perfectly. Right. And which and you have to do that. Quick note, really quick, you have to do all of the hard work before you get on stage, so that you're not, you know, nothing's going wrong, or you you're already satisfied before you get on stage so that you can focus on just the performance. So if you can be satisfied with something that's going to allow you to quickly get on and off stage, then that's, you know, that's a win for me. Well, it is because the brain is a compartmentalized organ and you really do have two sides that think about things differently. And the creative side and the administrative, if you will, side are very different in the way they approach and how you feel when you're using them. Right. And so we went from this huge JBL sound system, which... I was in charge of setting up the, the most of, and you know, it was like four miles of cable and 87 connections. And I literally had to have a chart, right. you know, out to set it all up. And if there was a problem, if somebody had feedback in a monitor, or if there was an issue, it would be quite a bit to figure out where the issue was and track that down and fix it. Right. And I knew how to do that. And I was very used to doing that sort of thing. And I was okay with that. And then that Bose system came out, the, right. the column system came mm -hmm. out. And, and I thought, everything they're saying about it sounds great. Yeah. So I'll try that. And we went out and traded in our JBL sound system for a Bose sound system with the caveat that if it did not work out, because we were playing 80 shows a year, so we had to have it work. If it didn't work, 
we were bringing it back in a day or two and swapping it all back out. So hang on to all our stuff. And they agreed right. with that because we'd bought enough stuff from them. And they were like, okay with that. So we traded so much stuff. Oh my God. And, uh, so we took out the system and we went to uh, the first place we played was, was incredibly rough as far as sound goes, feedback, horrible, everything you could possibly want to make your sound bad. It was there. And from the first second, it was spectacular. Yeah. And, our setup dropped from two and a half hours to 28 minutes. Yeah. And our teardown went from three hours to 24 minutes, including getting the money, you know, driving away 24 minutes after the last note hit. Right. That freed up so much of our life. Yep. And it made going to gigs so much easier mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. because that burden was gone. Setup was nothing. Walking in with the with the stuff because it was so lightweight was suddenly nothing. And you'd think, I want a huge JBLPA. I want those 18s pumping out those. And you kind of do. But when you're also the guy responsible for carrying it and setting it up and, and policing it during the show and tearing it down and packing it up, Suddenly, the convenience of it yeah. isn't just a little thing. Well, it's it, not as it's not fun anymore. It, it changes the feeling of of booking the show, of anticipating the show, of performing the show, and of driving home. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how colored the experience became from carrying a heavy system versus light. So I do beg the question. I was a drummer in that band, so I you know. I had so much flexibility, but it does beg the question for me, as I go into this tone castle situation, being a guitar player, do I want to burden myself with just a couple of combos, which as a former drummer doesn't seem like that much, you know, but then I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to need a pedal board and I'm going to need a power supply. I'm going to need a few other things or and a microphones. And I'm going to have to go with sound checks or do I just want to go with a Kemper? Right. When I go from playing a Kemper, for instance, I'll play the uh, Fillmore profile that I did in the Kemper, to the actual Fillmore. The thing I feel from the Fillmore is an immediacy. I know it's the, uh, it's not, it's not a lag. It's the impulse response, because in an impulse response, typically, you're hearing a static moment of a speaker, whereas in real life, you're hearing that speaker move and the resistance change and you're getting an instantaneous feeling from the amp in the way that you're playing that I don't think impulse response has has gotten there yet. It could be that it could be an, an electrical actual electrical pushback. Right. You know, it's tough to say. I don't know why guitarists have many guitarists have a purist in them. But it, let's say we're creating our own problems. It tends to to jump out and go I can kind of feel it. And so maybe I just use the real amp, but then there's compromises. And, and once again, with tube amps, you're always worried about failure. Right. But with a Kemper or any software-based system, you're always worried about fa- failure. <laughs> so then you go, well, I know. I'll take a Kemper and then take an Iridium as a backup. Yep. But then maybe I'll take the Iridium and... The Kemper as a backup. <laughs> And we've cycled ourselves into a circle. At we, we've come all the way back to uh, to full circle. And uh, I mean, I, I think that we kind of indirectly answered the questions and, and kind of more posed posed the argument for it. We'll probably talk about this stuff a lot, you know, in the future. And palmetto bugs, uh, we've really just touched on that. Uh, but uh, before we before we wrap things up, I did want to, uh, I said earlier, I wanted to honorable mention uh, the Helix Stomp. Oh, yeah, The yeah, HX yeah. Stomp. Yeah. Um, 
I have not spent a ton of time with it myself, but uh, many of my peers that I respect, uh, including my friend Brian at work, uh, is a user of them. Uh, Brian actually switched from a Kemper to the uh, the Stomp, and, really, and has just loved it. Really, he, you know, it's the it's the you know you really? get the system. I'm sorry, I'm in a loop. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> you you get the sound system and you cut the time down, and and then it gets to a point and he's like, you know, yeah, my setup time went from 15 minutes to eight minutes. You know, ver- with the Kemper versus the Stomp, and I'm I'm exaggerating, but you know, he was looking at it like that. I was like, man, I can get everything that I need because I really only use one amp at a time for any particular gig, and it's the effects that I'm swapping out. So for him, that was like a perfect, perfect thing. Whereas for me, I, I want all the different amps and everything. But that has been the one thing that I've seen, you know, kind of in contest with the Iridium is well, for an extra hundred bucks, you know, you get the amplifier, multiple amplifiers. And all of the effects that you can control MIDI and more or less the same way you control the Iridium. I would only, my only, you know, contest to that uh, is that I just contest, contest. Uh, I I think that the only, the only real. uh, Uh, you You made me snort. The, the difference is just another microcosm of the same issue is that the Helix has a lot of things, but it may not sound quite as authentic, whereas the Iridium has three, and I think it sounds really authentic. So, Do you think that there's a... Boy, this is another podcast topic. Do you think there's a natural bias? Natural is the wrong word. Do you think there's a industry bias against Line 6 overall in saying that they're good but... Yes. Why is that? Because I think... Because we're not doing that with the Strymon Iridium, which is merely a pedal, let alone a, you know, a LED-flavored, you know... Well, I I can see where this rabbit hole is going to go, but I I think that with the advent of digital technology, the first things that it kind of approached were delays and reverbs, which were... Like everyone can academically appreciate the fact that it expanded what you could do with delays and reverbs by doing it digitally. Okay. And then it became commonplace because they perfected it, but it was because the need was more pressing than the, the sacrifice or the perceived sacrifice that had to be made from going to an analog tape machine to a digital delay. It was cool that you could do infinite repeats. It wasn't looked on as a negative that it sounded digital. Right, okay. Uh, sure. Whereas now, we're messing with the the core fabric of what makes up your sound, and so the thought is, well, if it's digital, then it's not quote-unquote real or authentic or having any sort of... I mean, what we're basically looking for is the quote-unquote human aspect in the amplifier, and well, it can't possibly be there if it's digital, but... At the same time, that human element is, you know, it's the other side of that human element coin is the failure of the amplifier. So there are inconsistencies and things that make it what we like, but until we get to a point where we want our sounds to be the kind of consistent that digital replication does, till that becomes what we want to hear creatively, we're going to always see the the back and forth between the two and which is better and everything because in most recordings that I listen to most of it is plugins. We're talking about all these amps and everything, but most of the recordings that I have done and listened to on a daily basis aren't even real amplifiers anymore. Or if they are, they're reamped and it's not 
the real thing like it used to be. So we're kind of in love with this idea that doesn't even really exist in mass unless you're, you know, recording at some studio that Warner Brothers is footing the bill for and you're getting to play through all these vintage things and you're doing all this different stuff the way, you know, you dream about going to a recording studio. Um, but, and I, I'm sure you have thoughts on that being a, an engineer yourself and we can swing back around to that in another another topic. But I, I really think at the end of the day that it comes down to the fact that our biases will change when what we want changes. We're in, we're in an interesting time in the human experience where we are on the cusp of um, incorporating the machine into our actual existence. You know, it's not just a tool anymore. Right. We can live within it. Mm -hmm. We can we can coexist. We can become one with it. We can work in concert with it. And as we come to grips with it, the younger generations are thinking, I don't have a problem with the machine. And the older generations are right. going, well, you should, because you have to be careful. And then you go, but why? They don't look at the Terminator movies. Right. <laughs> you know, Skynet, people, it's Skynet. But that's what it comes down to. And, I, I, and we have the all of our heroes... Well, let me rephrase that. Most of our heroes have recorded analog. They've recorded with real amps. They've recorded with microphones and speakers in big studios. And sometimes, if we go from the 70s and before, the reverb was real. Right. It was actual cavernous rooms underneath Columbia Records or Sony Records mm -hmm. or whatever it's called now. And we've had to slowly come to grips with the fact that Reality has changed the prescription for how we logistically handle the needs and the demands of how many people want a specific resource and how many, you know, there's only one room under Columbian that, that does that particular sound. Right. So if you want it and I want it, then somebody's got to pick a different time. Right. Well, if 100 people want it, now what do we do? Now 1,000 people want it, now what do we do? So we had to eventually come up with a way to, to bring it to the masses. To replicate it. Yeah, and just like anything has to be replicated, cassettes, CDs, you know, it all went originally from vinyl or whatever. Everything gets replicated and diminished slightly, but we accept that as it expands through society and we, we go, it's a compromise, but I'm willing to accept that. Right. So I think that we're kind of that, to that same point where we're going, the convenience is there, the compromise, if there is one, mm -hmm. affects the musician, perhaps. Maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way, maybe in a compromised way that they can accept, but, but, but maybe it affects the musician. But the listener typically won't be affected one way or another. Right. And so then the musician has to come up with the idea of uh, the bargain, Right. Where am I going to go? And that's kind of a decision, you know, how far, which way do you want to go? And that's, you know, that's a matter of enthusiasm and and um, resources and commitment. Mm -hmm. But I think we can all agree to this point that even by the most pure standards, I could dial up a fake sound and fool you. Yeah. You know, basically, I could fool you. And with that concept... I think that that is the real answer is that it's all completely perceived and perception. And what you want to believe is going to become your reality. Uh, 
with that controversial ending, I think that's a good place to wrap it. Uh, this has been a great conversation. It totally didn't go the direction that I wanted it to, uh, but I enjoyed how philosophical we got and and the palmetto bugs man. and the palmetto bugs. I mean, you know, we they don't get we did a a public service to anyone you know thinking about living in Florida. <laughs> Just Florida. not that you shouldn't. There are great places in Florida. You know, I've still got family there and and everything, but. Uh, you know, just know what you're getting involved with. Florida is a great state. I actually did like living there, um, but you you got to deal. With it. It's like Texas. There are certain realities you got to live with in Texas too. Right. Well, if if anybody else wants to join the conversation uh, next week, we'd love to hear questions or ideas for um, things you want us to talk about. Uh, if you have a particular wine that you think Jet will. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Be, be red, willing reds, to hide please. his, uh, his abrasiveness reds. behind. Yeah, red, uh, red you know, wines, please. Please, uh, please shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you and, and have you be a part of the show. Uh, that email is Jet? Uh, info at gearandgigs.com. G E A R N G I G S.com. Awesome. And that's probably a great place to end this program. We really appreciate you hanging with us. For Trey Hawkins, I'm Jed Stone. Thanks for listening to Gear and Gigs. Talk to you next time. <laughs>